preacher. You know, he's just beating. <laughs> you know, I just asked everybody how many of them felt like they should uh, uh, wish that you had more time at the end of every class. And the point being is just push it back when you had the traveling teachers and traveling preachers and stuff. You'd always show up 15 minutes early to try and get the guy going, right? Uh, to get it going early, right? So I'm beating them up over the fact I wanted to start at 9, but they wouldn't let me do it, right? Oh, it starts at no, the whole point is keep coming early. And we did get a commitment to be here at 7. Yeah. So we're going to see if uh, we can touch it. Okay, Sean, you're coming over. Actually, that would work for me. Okay. It would work for me, too. <laughs> no, the, the point of these two uh, next weeks is the fact that with Dave preaching and uh, having to focus on that, and then also the natural break between 1 Samuel and 2 Samuel, one of the questions that came up, Jack, listen to your wife. <laughs> listen to your wife, Jack. <laughs> now, go, go, go fill your cup up, Jack. Go fill your cup. Right. He won't do it. Won't do it. <laughs> You're late, Sean. You're late. You're in trouble. You're in trouble. Yeah. No, I, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. Well, we were all discussing the fact that, you know, when Jack gets lost, right? <laughs> and poor Connie's wandering around and we're always worried about it, this and that. But then we all came to the same conclusion. When has Jack ever been found? <laughs> I think we need to continue praying for Jack. We do. <laughs> we do. The thing I appreciate about Jack is the fact that as long as people are praying for him, I know they're praying for me. Because I'm not even near that close. <laughs> no, the, the whole point was, during this time of going through uh, 1 Samuel, uh, dealing with David, the issue of covenants has come up. And there's issues of personal covenants. We saw in uh, 1 Samuel 18, uh, Jonathan and David... Uh, you can't imagine some of the silly things taught these days out of such such uh, passages. But the, the term covenant in and of itself turns out to be much more of a churchy word than anything else. Uh, my pre-Christian days, if people walked up to me and said, hey, you want to have a covenant? I thought it was a thing where you put on black hoods and this and that and found a cat to dissect or something. <laughs> I had no clue what they were talking about. And even in today's world, well, uh, let's open in prayer and then we'll, we'll get, get to it. So. Father, we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the time in which we can come as your people to truly ponder, consider what it is that you have strived so hard to bring about in creation. The single purpose, Father, that you have in having that complete fellowship in and of yourself and yet, Father, extended to even us that we could walk as children of God, knowing the relationship of a loving Father and, and all that that encompasses. With that, Father, help us to demonstrate, as our Lord commanded, that we would love one another, that the world would know us by our love, 
that love would be the definition of the fruit that we produce. And in that, Father, help us to live that life that Christ so envisioned for us that it would be abundant and that it would be free and that it would be just so encompassing. With that, Father, we ask for your guidance because on our own we, we can't achieve it. On our own we tend to muck things up. So, Father, we ask your guidance now. We ask for the Spirit's leading. We ask that sin and anything else that would encumber us, that, Lord, we would deal with that and, and just move on, knowing that we rest in your arms. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now, the, the point of discussing the term covenant is, number one, your point of reference. Where do you come from? If uh, you are of a certain Scottish Presbyterian heritage, and I mentioned the covenant and this and that, you'll go right back to 1681, in which that was solidly defined as against popery, because we had that little weasel move in from France and try and bring uh, Catholicism back to uh, Scotland. But along with that, it wasn't just a matter of setting the covenant of God first and foremost. It was also a matter of uh, proclaiming the king's profession. With that, uh, the confession that came out of that statement was the fact that um, parliament and the king's rule was by divine right. Now with that, and the divine right of kings, you go right back to Charlemagne, and, and what made it that Charlemagne could be made uh, king over all the tribes of Europe? Now remember, this is the same royal family that traces its lineage down to all the silly families that still run, run around and call themselves loyal. What was Charlemagne's one great claim to fame that Gregory the Great thought was noteworthy to make him king? A descendant of Jesus Christ by the flesh. He was of royal blood. He had the divine blood of Jesus Christ in his van. Now this became popular, what, five, six years ago? Whatever it was, maybe a little bit longer. When what, what book came out? And then the movie. Oh, the Da Vinci Code. And everybody thought, wow, look at all this neat stuff. This is so good, we should put it on the history channel, right? <laughs> We all know where that stuff comes from, right? But the whole point being is, is if you're from a certain mindset, and we talk about the covenant, we're talking about a, a set code of what needs to be. Now, if you're a good child of America, and you grew up in Los Angeles like I did, and uh, let's say you weren't born a, a good Roman Catholic, so you were insulated from such silliness. But if you had certain uh, uh, churches running around, and this was popular elsewhere too, but you had people trying to define uh, a new movement, uh, Pentecostalism, within the bounds of certain denominations. And that became known as the Charismatic uh, Movement. Well, within that, they worked real hard to define themselves. What makes themselves unique? Well, you had businessmen get together and say, we're going to be the full gospel fellowship, right? By implication, they're telling me I'm a partial gospel fellowship. I don't adhere to the full thing. So then it was very, very popular to point out in their mind 
that they were ones who were keeping the promise of the covenants because they could prove it by signs and wonders. Covenants had proof to them. So if you're at all of that background, your idea of covenant is the idea of a seal of approval and or proof by signs and wonders. Um, any others? Is there anybody who could share what they, what they thought what covenant might be? I mean, I've shared two extremes there. One that wants to make things in a legalistic sense, and another that wants to make it um, a very open, nebulous, confirming kind of a concept. But the questions that came up were twofold. One, how does the covenant work? What was going on with David and um, uh, Jonathan in what they were doing? Uh, because they both claimed, uh, both in 18 and in chapter 25, of 1 Samuel, they both claimed that this was a covenant of the Lord that they were making to each other. So the, the matter is, is what is it they were working on? Well, in that sense, to me, a covenant just means an agreement between two people. Or I didn't bring my gold stars in that, but if I did, you'd have a gold star on your paper right now. <laughs> if you back up to what the term means in and of itself, we don't run around and say, oh, I'm going to have a covenant today. But... We all know what it's like. Well, the word itself in Hebrew, it's one of those words that really doesn't help us a whole lot. It had two basic meanings. One was to fetter or to bind, right? To, to lock into a position, okay? Like when you're, when you're building a tent and you have uh, an area where, where two things meet and cross, you would bind them. You would cause them to meet. You would cause them to hold together. But the other meaning of the word, uh, less common, and yet has, uh, it, when you get into the cultural aspect of covenant, it has more meaning. It basically meant a meal. Who you would sit and eat with. And, and, and we'll sit and, and see that. And especially in cultural traditions, it's still very popular around the world today in certain cultures. But even more so when you got into the ancient cultures, who you sat and ate with defined who you were. And you did not sit and eat with those who were not of your, your makeup. Uh, we'll see this especially when we look at uh, some of the Levitical stuffs. In fact, there's a very curious term used for covenant in which uh, the Lord makes a covenant of salt when discussing the, uh, the Levites and that. And a lot of people go, wow, covenant of salt. First thing that came to my mind was uh, uh, Lot's wife, right? Don't need one of them, right? My cows have their own salt lake. I don't need the wife to, you know, go out there and try and uh, take the place. The baseline that we need to work off of is the fact that we will discuss the personal aspects of it, but more importantly, we want to discuss the biblical aspect of covenant. Well, you know, one of the recent buzzwords that covenant was attached to was marriage. Covenant marriage. That's huge. 
Because in certain states you can have a regular marriage or you can have a covenant marriage. Yeah. And the idea is that a covenant marriage means more than a non-covenant marriage, right? Well, how, how do you work that out? Can you tell the tell the girl you're going to marry? Hey, buddy, I want to marry here. You know, we want to get married here, but I just want a regular marriage. I don't want a covenant marriage, right? Now, if you try and throw a prenup in there, that's it. She's not going to have anything to do with you, right? No, pretty funny. I found that interesting about prenups, though. Did you know that, what's his name, uh, Tom Cruise is getting divorced again for the third time? <coughs> hey, that's big news. Everybody should know that. Well, no, but do you know what was news to me? Everybody in Hollywood knew it had to happen. No, 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 seriously. No, no I'm not talking about the silliness of Hollywood. I'm talking about the legalities of California. If you sign a prenup agreement and get married in the state of California, that prenup is binding for 10 years. After 10 years, any prenup is made void. And so with that, if you can get married to Tom Cruise and go into the 11th year, you have rights to all his earnings until he's dead. Now, knowing that, any gal who marries him in California should realize what? Look, babe, it doesn't matter how well things are. I made you sign a prenup, and what does that mean? It means by the year, at least by nine and a half, you're out of here, right? Okay, but see, it's still a covenant because it's an agreement. Now, let me, let me read your definition. The Oxford Dictionary of the Christian Church states that it is a bond entered into voluntarily by two parties by which each pledges himself to do something for the other. Right? Now, that's the same definition as you would find in any dictionary as to what a covenant is. Sir? I've heard the, the Constitution Truly, uh, it would be. But the issue there was, um, well, well, what I just said in here, two parties who can voluntarily enter into it. All right. Now, during the time of the Constitution, you had loyalists and you had those who were rebels, yes? Now, with that, what did a lot of the loyalists end up doing? A lot of them left and went where? England, Canada, uh, Bahamas, all kinds of stuff. When you're marching like that, you're supposed to stand right up front and stand behind me and just be very intimidating. <laughs> welcome, welcome, welcome. There's coffee up here. Just relax, chill out. We haven't really gone anywhere. We're still discussing the old but, but take that example. You had a statement made, right? Now, we can split hairs, and a lot of people do. You can say that a covenant is nothing more than a contract, all right? 
You have those who point out that um, what we have found historically uh, dealing with uh, uh, the old Hittite cultures and this and that, what a, um, uh, a suzerain or a lord, a king would make over vassal people as to promises they would make as to what you would give back, right? Um, certain amount of protection for, for whatever. So you can take it as a legal document, you can take it as an um, uh, agreement within a tribe. In marriage, it's very interesting because historically in a lot of cultures, marriages were arranged as to bring peace between families, yes? One of the things you're going to note when we're getting into 2 Samuel is the fact that you talk about David having problems with his sons. And quite honestly, everybody jumps right on David as being a bad dad. Trouble is this. Your tribe affiliation within Israel was carried through which bloodline? The mother or the father? The mother. Jews today still trace their bloodlines to the women. Where's that come from? It goes all the way back to Genesis 3. The seed of the woman will be protected, yes. The seed of the woman is what's crucial. And that's why to Jews today, who they marry woman-wise is very, very important. Just like me, always try, men try and marry up. <laughs> <laughs> Women are suckers. <laughs> they want to fix you. <laughs> you think I look bad now? You should have seen me before I met her 40 years ago. <laughs> oh my gosh. You ready to hit him? <laughs> oh, she hits me regularly. It still doesn't do any good. <laughs> no, so. What we're going to be doing is, I want to try and answer what questions come up, but first and foremost, I want to try from a biblical perspective, discuss what the covenant is, or what the covenants themselves are. Now, we come from a traditional uh, Baptist, Protestant background. I believe, as taught by old... Mr. Ram in his hermeneutical studies that the Bible means what it says by the historical context and by the proper grammatical use of the words therein. The words mean something in and of themselves. The second you make a word mean more than one thing, it can mean anything. Yes? Now understand that a lot of what we have historically passed down through the church comes from a whole different perspective. I was raised Roman Catholic. What do I know about Roman Catholics? Their basic hermeneutics is that the doctors and the fathers of the church can interpret scripture. How do they interpret the Old Testament? In their mind, it is all allegory. I can go to the Old Testament and I can use it in an allegorical sense any way I want to define anything I want. That is why in their traditions they don't need to chapter verse anything. Alright? 
Now, let's take historical Jewish perspective. What came from uh, Rabbi Rashi and, and others, who in setting down the Mishnah and other traditions of the Jews, their concept of God was that each word can have a thousand meanings. And in order to understand God, you need to understand them all. So basically, I can come up with anything I want. That's why you have Jews who believe in reincarnation. You got Jews who believe in the, in the Zohar and, 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 the, and the mystic wonders of crystals and, and in, 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 in spirit issues and on and on and on. Because the point is, as long as you just claim to be a Jew and you're okay, let it go, right? That's okay as long as you don't believe in Jesus. That's kind of a tipping point. That's kind of a tipping point. But again, if you come to Scripture with that understanding, then you have people who sit there and say, well, the covenants, they applied everything, right? Why didn't God want Israel to eat pork? How many of you have heard because of trichinosis? Be honest. It's just practical. Pigs are dirty things. Well, wait a minute. Culturally, go around the world. In almost every culture you go around the world, the pig is the party meat. Come on. You don't watch Food Network? <laughs> Everything's better with what? Bacon. Bacon. Come on. I can't even go to Zoom. Um, uh, voodoo donuts anymore. They used to be one thing to have one donut with big. They got like five now. And I'm like, oh my gosh. You know, I got to have protein for breakfast and I have to have two or three of these things, right? See, the issue there was it was a cultural thing. Pigs to party meat. Come on, end of the month, 26th to the what, 29th. You go down to Esther Short Park, you're going to have Hawaiians out there, right? Men, watch the hands when the hula's going. That's what the story is, right? All these different reasons for going to a hula thing. What are they going to be eating? Kalua pig. You got that right. Cow cow, that's food. And cow cow and the pig, that's number one. Little lomi salmon on top. Good stuff, right? Almost every culture you go to around the world, pig is it. It was in the Middle East. That's why when the Lord showed up and said, and says, you know, I want you to be distinct. Don't eat a pig. It's like, what? Don't eat a pig? Are you crazy? Unless it's kosher. <laughs> you got to bleed that pig real good. <laughs> got to bleed it real good. No, let, let, let's get back to the idea. When you... <laughs> Look at things like Charles Ryrie when you go through his basic uh, theology. He'll mention the Abrahamic covenant and the Davidic covenant, but he really doesn't mention the other ones. Now, when you get to Grudem's uh, systematic theology, he falls back with uh, the old covenantal teachers starting back in the oh, 17th century, you know, 1620s and that, who basically. Um, uh, they're the ones we, we normally go and we fight with, right? Uh, you know, we, we've got the dispensationalists on this side, and we've got the covenant theology people on this side, right? And my trouble is, is, see, I didn't grow up in either tradition. So I got to read them both. 
And my thing is, is when I read John Owens and some of these Puritan writers and their zeal for God and they just want you to know and milk out every aspect of the word, it just sucks me in, right? But then I, I, I run around with these dispensationalists who sit there and say, no, God had different economies, right? From this time to this time, we know that God judged people like this, and, 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 and things change and all this stuff. And it boils down to basically two trains of thought. The covenant folk, they are so right on with the fact that God has always had only one people. The people of God make up his plan. And the kingdom of God is one. Alright? Our dispensationalist friends, who sit there and say, no, 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 no. Israel was one thing, the church is another. Two separate tracks. We're going to get to the same place, Jeremiah, this and that, but don't go throwing a bunch of Jews in with us. Come on, we're, we're different, alright? Okay? Now, with that, they worked hard in discussing the fact that there was a difference in the economy, difference in what God required, right? Why? Why the difference? Well, the trouble is this. Back up, covenant people. One rule of God. So, their basic theology works off of the fact that God chose Israel. Israel's walking along doing okay, but then they really screwed up. And when they really screwed up, God said, that's it. Boom, you're gone. I'm getting a new people, right? Well, how does that make you feel as the new people? Kind of makes me kind of go, you know. Shaky ground. <laughs> yeah, you know, I'm going to try and be good. But boy, I hope it doesn't chuck me too, right? Now, let, let's take the other side. The other side says, so, no, no, Jews are still there. They're on their own track. And I sit there and go, well, where are they? Now, it's easy for you younger folks because Israel's around, right? When I was a kid, well, I guess Israel was around then too, but. <laughs> go back, go back. Some of you older folks, right? <laughs> When there was no Israel, it was a real tough thing, right? And two, when I sit there and I, I realize certain things like, okay, even the founding of this, this country, most of our Christian believers during that time were good covenant believing people, right? With that, all millennialists, they don't believe that there's going to be a kingdom, right? It is up to us to bring the kingdom to earth. It is up to us to make this happen. And you have a lot of people with that focus. If we can only get the laws correct, if we can only make everything, all this stuff, then it would all work out fine. Well, I don't know why these people have never studied. Calvin tried it in Geneva. How well did that work? He almost lost everything. Good thing his books are still around. Just study his books. His theology was good. His practical governance was terrible, right? Just like Wesley. Wesley's life was fantastic. His theology was terrible. Always striving for that additional blessing. Always striving for something more, and yet living the Christian life with such example, unbelievable. Now, in these processes, we look at the fact that there are problems on both sides. So, 
Let's stick to what is. Most theologies dealing on covenant look for one thing right up front. First thing a lot of them will tell you is this, that there are three major covenants. Covenants of works, of redemption, and of grace. Put an R in there. Grace. Now, I would not bother writing those down. Jesus of the word, you will never find the covenant of works. So where does it come from? It comes from those who sit there and say, you know, in the garden, Adam and Eve were perfect. But God had to have some kind of an economy overseeing them. And in this economy, it was an economy of works. You had to keep yourself saved. And you know what? They blew it. That's an economy of works. The trouble is, is that leeches over, especially when you get into the Mosaic Covenant. It leeches over to the fact that there are certain dispensationalists who taught that in the Old Testament, you were saved by keeping the law. How many of you were taught that in Sunday school as kids? A lot. You got you're too young. A lot of people were taught that you were saved by keeping the law in the Old Testament. And then they said that the reward was earthly. Right? Why do you think Jews are such money grubbers, right? Is what the world will tell you. Oh, they're such money grubbers because if you're making money, you're getting the blessings of God, right? I've never heard that taught in the church, have I? Prosperity Gospels? Oh, 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 folks, it's huge. The same darn lie they used to slander Jews and slander us. And not just that, when you're talking about covenants, you're going to be talking about things that are culturally based. That covenant that David made with Jonathan, Jonathan takes his robe off, takes his sword off, takes all his armament, and he gives it to David. With that, what is he saying? He's the heir apparent. He's the son of the king. He's the next in line. And in fact, when you get to 1 Samuel 25, Saul is beside himself. Jonathan, why are you covering for David? If David is alive, you get no kingdom. They all knew exactly what was going on. Oh, cut those animals in half. Now you're hitting a big one. <laughs> in fact, when you get to Jeremiah, uh, and, and later on, you have certain people performing a, uh, a covenant that they want to keep with God. And so they take animals and they cut it in half. Now the amazing thing is there, that's 
uh, Genesis 15, and that is probably one of the biggest touchstones of Scripture. Because culturally, if you had a neighbor, and let's say your, your lands were kind of uh, over, you know, running over on each other, and you wanted to come up with an agreement that your shepherds would work so far and their shepherds would come so far and that, you'd first come up with a, with a promise, right? We'll keep them together, this and that. But then if you really wanted to solidify it, back in the day, you would take an animal. You'd, uh, you know, depending on how much you like your neighbor, right? I really like my neighbor on the one side, so I'd take a big old fat cow. What I'd do is I'd take that cow and I'd slice it right down the middle and I'd lay the two parts, one on each side, right? And what this signified was that whatever we agreed on, right, as far as boundaries and how we would behave with each other, I put conditions on him, he puts conditions on me, we both agree with it. We both then walk down the center of the animal, signifying what? I think you know. Signifying. And if you don't? You're going to be like these animals. It is a death sentence. It means what I promise you now, I promise on my life. Alright? Now, we don't finish the story culturally. Culturally then, the meat was taken and it was cooked. And a meal was set. And especially in certain Middle Eastern cultures today, um, when I first came across this, I wasn't aware of what it was until somebody pointed out with it to me afterwards. But in working with a Lebanese guy who really learned to uh, appreciate what I could do for him business-wise, he wanted me to go home and meet the family, all right? And in that, you know, that's a big honor in and of itself to be asked into a, a certain person's home. But then in going, he had some raw lamb that was ground with certain herbs in it. And next to the lamb was a plate of salt. That's it. And you would sit and take the raw ground lamb, put it on the salt and eat it. And I'm sitting there kind of going, you know, this is tough. Okay, now you serve me good um, kofta like that, raw kofta, I, I love it. But, kibbe, exactly. Now, with that, when I was young and didn't quite understand it, what was pointed out to me was twofold. In the ancient culture, salt meant everything. A Roman soldier was one of the best paid soldiers there was at the time because he was paid in salt and paid regularly. Salt was a commodity that you could use anywhere as currency and it was necessary for you to survive it. In the ancient Near East, more people died from lack of salt than from anything else. It was the number one form of dying. You died of lack of salt more than you died of lack of water. What was that? What was that? It shows you the world we live in. It really does. It really, really does. But when you realize how precious salt was, to take your salt and to voluntarily share it with another one in a meal, in your home, with your family, was a way of saying anything you need, anything you ever need, I am here for you. 
you can call on me day and night. It is a covenant set. Now, different cultures are different that way. I, I, I grew up with a uh, uh, apprenticing with a, a, a German company in which I had to first be a machinist and a mechanic and all this kind of stuff. And there's certain rites and rituals and passing, you know, that, that you go through. But one that was, was weird, and it was, uh, what, probably five, six years after we got saved, uh, the wife and I, in which my, my stellaires, Herr Erbach and Herr Kroschke and that, took me out, had a nice couple pitchers of beer, and then went home and met the families, right? And again, I'm just a stupid guy, you know? 22, 23 years old, and eh, maybe a little bit older. But with that, not quite understanding. In German culture, in that, when you're working with people like this, and that they really sum you up. I mean, if I told you the nightmares that these Nazis did to me in apprenticing, <laughs> Well, I can use the term because they were at one point. And I used to remind them of that. But, but see, the thing that was, was being apprenticed under that was, was terrible business-wise. But till this day, I still make my living on everything they taught me, right? But the idea that you would then uh, have this drinking with the men and then going home and meeting the families. If you speak German, there's a difference between the familiar way you speak and the um, uh, proper way you speak. Even in the way that you say you and me and this and that. Old English, we had it with the these and nows, right? Well, now all of a sudden when they speak to me, it's as if I'm a son. I can do no wrong. They'll back me up anywhere you go. Different cultures have different ways of making these things set. Now, we live in a world in which everyone wants to break down all cultural things. Don't even try and understand different people. But the meeting was to make a set agreement. The animals represented what you're willing to put on the line. And the meal afterwards was how long term does this count? When you meet people you haven't seen in a long time, you say, hey, let's do lunch, right? What does that mean? It means if I never see you again, it's fine. <laughs> If you really care about someone, you spend time with them. And yet we live in a culture now in which you're taught that, oh, I'm so invested in this person that I'm texting. <laughs> Investing in a person that you're texting? <laughs> what good is that? I travel a lot. Do you know how big my texts go over with my wife? <laughs> You know, I joke about getting good phone when I phone home, right? And it's very important. But I don't care how good the phone is, it does not match being here, yes? Covenant is about relationship. No. Absolutely. Sorry, But uh, in Ruth, okay, mm -hmm. they didn't split the animal and go through. But they traded shoes, right? Mm -hmm. So when Boaz goes to the, what, what, whoever was first in line, they look at him like, I'll give you this. And anyway, the agreement was somebody gave her shoes. Yeah. So was that like a lower kind of It was. Covenant thing? It was a, a lower, that was strictly a contractual. Or was that a covenant at all? 
Oh, just a contractual agreement? Well, you, you can call it a covenant, just like you would a, um, um, uh, a business agreement is a covenant, right? The issue about defining these things biblically is the fact that we are given the word covenant. It is used with certain verbs, and it is used in certain contexts. And those are the ones I want to concentrate on. There are certain disagreements as to how many covenants there are, but it is clearly understood that the first defined covenant in Scripture is in Genesis chapter, what is it, 6? Hang on a second. When you get into Noah, chapter 6 and chapter 8 give you the promises, but in, in Genesis chapter 9, 8 to 17, you have the word for covenant first used, and it's used six times in five verses, right? It's a boom, 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 boom. And it's a covenant that God makes with Noah. Now from there, you then have the covenants made with Israel. And depending on how you break things down, there's either uh, five or six. But basically, you have the Abrahamic, you have the priestly, you have the Mosaic or the Sinaitic, you have the Deuteronomic, you like those terms? The Davidic and the New. And these are the covenants that God makes. Now with that, if you stick to those and keep them together, then what you do with things like this is, okay... Did God work graciously? Right? See, when I deal with... Uh, again, this is a covenant theology way of breaking down a total view of Scripture. Now, if I was to do this in a um, dispensational view, when I first came to this church many, many, many years ago, um, most of you would be sitting out there with your Schofield Bibles. How many have these Schofield Bibles out now? Look how old poor Schofields has fallen on hard times, right? Well, what was his big claim to fame? Dispensational, you know, uh, views of things. With your Schofield Bible, instead of having stuff like this, you would have stuff like, uh, how would it go? It would go that you had creation, right? And then you have the fall of man. And then you have the time of ignorance. Which I, there's different terms of that, but I, I always say, you know, ignorance. Okay, then you have the call of Abraham, or Abram, even better. Then you have Israel. Then you have the Israel, Israel chopped off, right? And then starts the church age. Right? Now, trouble is, the church age goes for how long? Alright, well, what comes after? Rapture. Rapture. Do you realize that the, the whole teaching of rapture is no more than really 200 years old? And yet it has become such a key focus. See, my thing there is, what the Lord wants to do it here, Right? Lord, leave, leave me here. I'd love to work with them Jews, right? Kind of a thing. But this whole idea that the rapture has to happen, but what does happen, and you nailed it, was end times, yes? Because the trouble is, is I know from when Daniel was about here to about here, there were only how many weeks? <coughs> yeah, 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 there were 70 weeks, but how many weeks actually went by? 
Only 63 of them. And then, and then Jesus came. And there's seven weeks left that we call tribulation. Right? And then we have a thousand years of the kingdom. Now, this, is, this came from our great dispensationalists. Yes? Who sit there and say, see how we have different ages? You know, this and that. But in this, they try and throw in the covenants too. Now, when did the covenant of sin or the age of sin. When when did that start and when does it finish? Oh, okay. When does the age of grace start? See, a lot of people, depending on their theology of covenants, will sit and say, oh, this is the age of grace. We're under grace. That's it. They're kind of going, well, what happened to all these guys? <laughs> How did they get saved? Grace. They got saved by faith, through grace. Yes. And then the sister said, oh yeah, yeah, but we have the Holy Spirit. Well, what did they have? There is no redemption without the Holy Spirit. But then people run around saying, but, but that means we're not unique. You're very unique. Christ has come. Christ in you. There's a great uniqueness in the New Testament. But the point being is, don't go watering it down. Don't go blasting things away. Things you need to write down. First, covenants were, and I'm going to use big words here, promulgated by the divine Lord or suzerain on behalf of his vassal people. It was always God dictating it truly cannot be a covenant, per se. The English word we would have closest to it out of Latin would be to convene, right? Now, when... when, when um, what, what convenes in our day? The legislature. Yeah. The legislature <laughs> convenes. What else? Meetings, right? Always business, right? Courts. Courts definitely convene, right? You folks there in the back. When's the last time you got together with your friend and sat there and said, ah, let's meet at Starbucks and we're going to convene for a while, right? <laughs> no. The difference would be, I have a plan. There's a purpose behind what I want, right? Now, of course, we know girls are always very innocent, this and that. When they get together at... at at Starbucks and this and that. It's always for the fact that they just want to meet and know how you are. Boys convene. <laughs> they have a purpose. See, we don't get in trouble. And stop it. <laughs> no, no, no. See, our terms are one that a covenant is simply a meeting in which there is a purpose and there is something to be achieved and done. All right? Now, biblically, it's not proper to really even call it a covenant. Because you never find man equally debating with God. Now, what you do find in the Abrahamic is, Abraham, my favorite Jew, right? Every time God sits and says, I'm going to do this, and he goes, Well, Lord, you know, Lot's not that bad of a guy. If I can find 50 guys, what do you say? You don't blow the place up? What do you say, right? 
the thing about Abraham was he was not afraid to debate and speak his mind to God. At all. Me? I had trouble speaking when my father was in the room. Always stuttered. Funny how that is. Number two. Crisis, or covenants normally always happen at a time of crisis. Major things were happening and going to happen. There were a time in which people needed to be focused. We didn't just sit there and say, you know, we haven't had a good covenant in a while. Right? Let's sit down and have a covenant. You mentioned the Declaration of Independence or, or the Constitution, yeah? Nah, let's, if it's such a good idea, let's just have one every 50 years, right? There are people who think that the Constitution is just that kind of thing. Because their view of life is, is you know, why should I be shackled by what other people thought? Right? And a uh, scary way of being. But there are different opinions there. Number three, no covenant supersedes or nullifies another previously given. Each covenant advances the plan of God. Now this throws most Christians in their thinking completely out the door because you're used to things like Galatians chapter 3 where Paul says, hey look, the promise came 400 years before the law, right? Well, wait a minute, what are you saying? Are you saying that the Abrahamic covenant, which Paul is claiming is so fundamental, which it is, right, supersedes anything that comes out of Sinai? Well, if you're saying that it does, then why in the world did God ever take him to Sinai? God's the one who orchestrated that afterwards. Yes. It's all about right. time. I'm coming up with well, all this heresy and nobody's doing it. <laughs> you may well be right, okay? But how, how do you then explain that we're under grace and therefore, I mean, we, we're eating pigs, right? We're, doing, we're breaking up lots and lots and lots of the Davidic and, and uh, Abraham, you know, different laws because we're under grace. Okay, folks, now, even you young people, take note. This is the head of our deacon board. <laughs> and with that he serves and with that he serves on the board of elders. And he just confessed to how many sins? <laughs> Who's taking who to task? <laughs> no, you nailed it. You hit it on the head. So why the law? Well, keep going in Galatians. What did Paul say? To show us what? To show us being grace. How do you do that? Yeah, but come on. Why make the law then? It's really descriptive of who God is. To me, I, I've always had to consider the law to be a training tool. God has spent a lot of time getting his word in print and history and example. And uh, it's just a long period of training. And when Christ came, he exposed the real purpose 
is total faith and acceptance of God as being and a true desire. None of us can do it perfectly. If we did, we wouldn't need a Savior, but a true desire to live the way he would have us live. And he has said in Scripture numerously that sacrifices and all those things are basically not what he's looking for. It's that faith and acceptance that he's looking for. Do you buy that one? Yeah. All right, so then why make the law to obey? And not just that, when I read the Mosaic Law, it tells me it's easy to keep. The Lord says, I'm not giving you statutes that are diffi too difficult. Didn't Paul say the law was written to make you aware of your sin? But how would I know what covetousness Amen. is? Amen. And, and, and I wasn't going to you know, jump on him in that, but he was paraphrasing Paul when he says the law is a tutor. Yes? There's no law that we so, so if, if, hold it, hold it, hold it, hold it. Then if God's ruler overall, abolish all law. Come on, that's it. That's what Sid Vicious always wanted. We want anarchy. <laughs> right? Abolish the law. There is no law. Do what you want. Well, let, let me throw a couple more bombs at you. Let me throw a couple more at you. And, and besides Galatians 3, 17 to 19, where Paul is discussing this very idea, you could also go to Hebrews 8, 8, 13, where the writer of Hebrews says that the new has made the old obsolete. But it does not say that it abolished it. It says that it has been fulfilled and or made of no use. What was that? Now, Hebrews, what? Hebrews 8, 13. So is that the same for when, uh, say, Peter? Yeah, Peter had the vision of the, yeah. the animals, the animals the going animals down, down yeah. and rise, eat, kill, and eat. Oh, no, 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 I can't do that. You know I can't do that. No, no, I've made both all things new. He so, says, what I've made clean, don't you call common. Yeah. And the funny thing is, is as soon as that vision happens, what's the first thing he does? He makes him have to go down and go into Cornelius' house, which was an even bigger issue for a Jew to do. So does that mean meaning of fulfillment that is to make of Because I always struggle with that, being Christ has never lost love, fulfilled love. And then it says, you know, you're not a law by grace. So for people who trust in Christ, who are, you know, washed in the blood and who believe, they are just no longer under law, but the law applies elsewhere. That's where you have that other great church word called propitiation, right? A word that you never hear anywhere except in church, right? And propitiation is to satisfy, to fulfill, to make complete. Sir? So it's almost as if the law was established and God gave us the law as a, uh, a preparation for Christ. Okay, but you're all ignoring the fact that what I pointed out is the fact that the Abrahamic covenant came first. Yeah. And the Mosaic one came second. What was lacking in the Abrahamic covenant that this was needed? Now you've all touched on training and understanding what sin is, and that is a huge part of it. Huge part of it. But let me throw the next bomb at you before we get out of time here. 
No Israelite was ever saved from sin by disobedient to any covenant. The covenants did not save you. Ever. They were not designed for it. So let's say the, the, the sacrifices and their faith. What covenant do you follow today that saves you? Give me what code, what agreement, what understanding. Faith and belief in Jesus Christ. Uh, we're under the blood of Jesus. So were they. Well, they were go, go to this timeline here. When was Christ crucified? Already. When was Christ crucified? Was it, was it here? Yes. Sad. Everything that happens in the tabernacle, everything that happens in the, in, in the temple was built after a pattern, yes? yes? What happened on earth reflected what was already done in heaven. That's the only reason it had any worth. And in fact, when you trace covenant, the first use of it is in Noah, the last use of it is in Revelation 11, when it talks about the Ark of the Covenant being opened in heaven. What in the world is the Ark of the Covenant doing up here? I'm sorry, tribulation up here. <laughs> I was just going to say in Galatians uh, chapter 3, there's a, a portion uh, about Abraham and, uh, and salvation in his day. Uh, beginning around verse 6, even as Abraham believed God and it was accounted for righteousness, uh, etc., etc., skipping down to 11. But that no man is justified by the law in the sight of God, it is evident for the just shall live by faith. Yes. So, sort of pre, pre-faith. Well, it's funny, when he's quoting that, uh, it was accounted unto Abraham for righteousness. That's coming out of chapter 12 of... Genesis, and there's two stories there. There's actually parallel verses in which you have two accounts of Abraham um, being told something, responding to God, and how he, you know, um, discussions that they had. But the term, it was accounted unto him as righteousness. This is chapter 12. The covenant doesn't happen until 15. The act with Isaac doesn't happen until what? 22? Right? Now, the thing that is, is the verb usage of was accounted to him as righteousness is in the perfect sense in as much as it speaks of his continuous acts. There wasn't a single act that Abraham did, because I can name you a bunch of Weasley things. Come on, that guy's running around in Egypt, right? He's worried because the king's hit on his, his wife, so he says, ah, it's my sister. I'm not lying, right? Again, good Jewish guy. I love Abraham, right? I'm not lying. It's my sister, right? Don't kill me, right? Kind of a thing. But the guy's a weasel in certain ways, right? But when pressed, he acts righteously. Now, did Abraham need the atoning blood of Jesus Christ to save him? Funny. Abraham's way back here. Jesus said, He rejoiced to see my day, and he did. Yes? yes. Jesus was crucified when? 
from before the foundations of the earth. How many people tell you that they didn't keep the covenant, so Jesus, when he came, they didn't accept him? What do you mean didn't accept him? They wanted to make him king. Why? Because he could provide donuts every morning. <laughs> Just like we're saved by looking back to the Christ, they were saved by looking forward and their faith in His coming and what was going to happen. Just like we're saved looking back. Why in the millennial kingdom do we have Levitical priests performing sacrifices in the temple? You can read the book of Hebrews and tell me it's all covenantal and that this stops everything. There's no need for the sacrifice anymore. Well, why then is the Levitical priesthood eternal? while the earth stands. See, this is things you have to walk through as you walk through these covenants. And next week, we have to start in going on the individuals. What I'm doing now is trying to lay the preliminaries in as much as, first of all, it cannot be a covenant like you think of covenant, because God and man are not on equal footing. The next thing is, it's amazing who takes the responsibility of the covenants. When these animals were split in Genesis 15, God told Abraham to take the animals. Now, how many animals did he take? Yes, there's a cow, there's a goat, there's a sheep, there's, a, there's birds, and there's everything. It is like, you, we're talking a major issue here, right? And then when it comes time to pass through, what happens to Abraham? God puts him to sleep. He says, Abraham, you have no part in this. And yet, an oven, right, and a burning lamp passed between representing the Lord. Who took the responsibility for the salvation of man and the promises on himself on payment of death? Just answer the question. <laughs> So, so then why, why, why does he want this discussion, this debate, this convening? Did God ever come and share a meal with Abraham? Yes. One yes. of the greatest theophanies of the Old Testament, in fact Christology, in which Jesus himself comes and sits and eats with Abraham. And Abraham kills a cow, right? You're talking being there a few days, folks. You don't just kill a cow and say, I'll have it up, you know, hamburger helper, you know, with his dry little blood. Right? It's a meal. The whole point is we want to convene. We want to meet. We want to commune. I want you to know my mind. The greatest term ever used of a disciple, and Jesus laid it on his disciples after, after the crucifixion, but was used first of Abraham as what? A friend of God. What is a friend? A friend is a person that you confide in, that you share yourself with, that you make understand all there is to know about you. And that is the reason why covenant is so big. The point of covenant, let's touch on that. God has always demonstrated his faithfulness in spite of his covenant people, or the lack thereof. He always will. And the whole point of having covenant is the idea that it is the practical, proper, godly 
way to worship. It does not define salvation. It defines what God says is proper worship. Now, Tim, you were asking about Moses, Sinai. Try to take the Sabbath out of the land. It doesn't work. I was working with a Jew up in Anchorage, and he was having to move up to, um, to Nome for a while, and he has a problem with that. The sun only goes up and down once. <laughs> How does a Jew keep the law in Nome? He cannot. And I would point out that we're here on Sunday a day late. We're absolutely a day late. We were following that. No, but not if we were Seventh-day Baptists, right? And, And another aspect is this. If the proof of God's blessing is the early and the late rains, we are the holiest people I've ever seen in my life. I mean, you can tell how holy I am because I got moss growing on one side of me. <laughs> the thing to keep in mind is this. The plan of God is put forth as to know God. He doesn't want you running around like some little, you know, whole, whole God's out playing whack-a-mole today, right? I spent most of my life worrying about God and whack-a-mole, right? Sean, stop it, right? Stop it, right? I'm trying to stop it, right? Just, Quit whacking me, you know, kind of a thing. Okay. But you reach a point in which you realize, you know, look, Lord, you know my heart. Just like Peter. Lord, you know me. You know that I only like you a lot. I can't say I love you sacrificially. But Lord, you have the words of eternal life. There is nowhere else to go but you. I stand with Job. Though he slay me, I know my Redeemer lives. I've got nowhere else to go. There is no man, there is no system, there's no anything else. But he wants to reveal to me what true worship is and what it means. And he does it through the process of the covenants. And we start first with Noah, and it applies to everybody. Everybody who can see a rainbow will know. Doesn't matter saved, unsaved, doesn't matter what tribe, doesn't matter. Even applies to rats and and animals, right? But then he narrows it down to Abraham and narrows it down to these people and narrows it down to David and narrows it down to all these things. And, and, and he sits and he kind of goes, Lord, the line of kings is dead. The line of all this, it's gone. There's no hope. There's no glory. And he says, I'm going to make a new one. And we all hang on to the new covenant. Trouble is, read Jeremiah 31. It's a promise to Israel. We are grafted into its roots. If there's no glory and hope for Israel, there is no glory or hope for us. Well, look at these people. They're a mess. They've been a mess for thousands of years now. And yet we sit there and say, well, no, I know some that are Christians and this and that. Well, that's great. They're welcome into the church. All are. But when's the last time you really prayed for the peace of Jerusalem? Yeah? I'll give it a piece. Drop the bomb, right? <laughs> get rid of all the weasels. Well, then you have people on the other side who sit there and say, oh, we have to just defend them no matter what. No. Oh, I'm with it. And there's a good guy teaching today. 
Next week, we start with Noah's covenant, and we're going to walk through it and talk about the covenants themselves. If you have any questions, you come at 9 o'clock, and you ask me beforehand, right? Because next week, we're getting on it. It's close. Father, thank you for the time. Thank you for your word. Be with David as he's teaching. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 That was very interesting. Thank you. We haven't even gotten to it. I know. Well, that's why, in, in, in trying to lay this out, it's a six months to a year long thing. Where do you go for all your information? You want me to break down a biography for you? You find it on the web or do you have to get the books? That's a lot, that's a lot this of is something I've been pursuing. Yeah. So,